Letter forty four of Clarissa by Samuel Richardson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please go to LibriVox.org. This recording by Patty Brugman. Clarissa, or the History of a Young Lady by Samuel Richardson. Letter forty four. Miss Clarissa Harlowe to Miss Howe, Wednesday morning, nine o'clock. My Aunt Hervey lay here last night, and is but just gone from me. She came up to me with my sister. They would not trust my aunt without this ill-natured witness. When she entered my chamber, I told her that this visit was a high favour to a poor prisoner in her hard confinement. I kissed her hand. She, kindly saluting me, said, Why this distance to your aunt, my dear, who loves you so well? She owned that she came to expostulate with me for the peace-sake of the family, for that she could not believe it possible, if I did not conceive myself unkindly treated, that I, who had ever shown such a sweetness of temper as well as manners, should be thus resolute, in a point so very near to my father and all my friends. My mother and she were both willing to impute my resolution to the manner I had been begun with and to my supposing that my brother had originally more of a hand in the proposals made by Mr. Solmes than my father or the friends. In short, fain would my aunt have furnished me with an excuse to come off my opposition, bell all the while humming a tune and opening this book and that without meaning but saying nothing. After having shown me that my opposition could not be of signification, my father's honour being engaged, my aunt concluded with enforcing me my duty in stronger terms than I believe she would have done, the circumstances of the case considered, had not my sister been present. It would be repeating what I have so often mentioned to give you the arguments that passed on both sides, so I will only recite what she was pleased to say that carried with it a new face. When she found me inflexible, as she was pleased to call it, she said, for her part, she could not but say, that if I were not to have either Mr. Solmes or Mr. Lovelace, and yet to make my friends easy, must marry, she should not think amiss of Mr. Wyerley. What did I think of Mr. Wyerley? Ah, Clary, put in my sister, what do you say to Mr. Wyerley? I saw through this immediately. It was said on purpose, I doubted not, to have an argument against me of absolute prepossession in Mr. Lovelace's favour, since Mr. Wyerley everywhere avows his values, even to veneration for me, and is far less exceptionable both in person and mind than Mr. Solmes. And I was willing to turn the tables by trying how far Mr. Solmes's terms might be dispensed with, since the same terms could not be expected from Mr. Wyerley. I therefore decided to know whether my answer, if it should be in favour of Mr. Wyerley, would release me from Mr. Solmes, for I owned that I had not the aversion to him that I had to the other. Nay, she had no commission to propose such a thing. She only knew that my father and mother would not be easy till Mr. Lovelace's hopes were entirely defeated. Cunning creature, said my sister. And this, and her adjoining in the question before, convinced me that it was a designed snare for me, 
"'Don't you, dear madam,' said I, "'put questions that can answer no end, "'but to support my brother's schemes against me. "'But are there any hopes of an end "'to my sufferings and disgrace "'without having this hated man imposed upon me? "'Will not what I have offered be accepted? "'I'm sure it ought. "'I will venture to say that.' "'Why, niece, if there be not any such hopes, "'I presume you don't think yourself absolved "'from the duty due from a child to her parents?' "'Yes,' said my sister, "'I do not doubt, but it is Mr. Clary's aim, "'if she does not fly to her loveless, "'to get her estate into her own hands, "'but go to live at the grove, "'in that independence upon which she builds all her perseverance. "'And, dear heart, my little love,' How will you then blaze away? Your mamma Norton, your oracle, with your poor and your gates mingling so proudly and so meanly with the raged herd, reflecting by your ostentation upon all the ladies in the county who do not as you do. This is known to be your scheme, and the poor without doors and loveless within, with one hand building up a name, pulling it down with the other, Oh, what a charming scheme is this! But let me tell you, my pretty little flighty one, that your father's living will shall control your grandfather's dead one, and that estate will be dispensed of, as your fond grandfather would have disposed it, and he lived to see such a change in his favour. In a word, miss, it will be kept out of your hands till my father sees you discreet enough to have the management of it, or till you can, dutifully by law, tear it from him. "'Fie, Miss Harlowe,' said my aunt, "'this is not pretty to your sister.' "'Oh, madam, let her go. "'This is nothing to what I have borne from Miss Harlowe. "'She is either commissioned to treat me ill by her envy "'or by an higher authority to which I must submit. "'As to revoking this estate, what hinders, if I pleased? "'I know my power, but have not the least thought of exerting it. Be pleased to let my father know that whatever be the consequence to myself were he to turn me out of doors, which I should rather think he would do, than to be confined and insulted as I am, and were I to be reduced to indigence and want, I would seek no relief that should be contrary to his will. For that matter, child, said my aunt, were you to marry, you must do as your husband will have you. If that husband be Mr. Lovelace, he will be glad at it, of any opportunity of further embroiling the families. And let me tell you, niece, if he had the respect for you which he pretends to have, he would not throw out defiances as he does. He is known to be very revengeful. And were I you, Miss Clary, I should be afraid he would wreck upon me that vengeance, though I had not offered him which he is continually threatening to pour upon the family. Mr. Lovelace's threatened vengeance is in return for threatened vengeance. It is not everybody will bear insult, as of late I have been forced to bear it. Oh, how my sister's face shone with passion! But Mr. Lovelace proceeded, I, as I have said twenty and twenty times, would be quite out of question with me were I to be generously treated. My sister said something with great vehemence, but only raising my voice to be heard without minding her. Pray, madam, provoking, interrogated I, was he not to have been as wild a man when he was at first introduced into our family as he is said to be? 
Yet then the common phrases of wild oats and black oxen and such like were qualifiers, and marriage and the wife's discretion were to perform wonders. But turning to my sister, I find I have said too much. O oh, thou wicked reflector, and what made me abhor him, think you, but the proof of those villainous freedoms that ought to have had the same effect upon you, were you but half so good a creature as you pretended to be. Proof, did you say, Bella? I thought you had not proof, but you know best. Was not this very spiteful, my dear? Now, Clary, said she, would I give a thousand pounds to know all that is in thy little rancorous and reflecting heart at this moment? I might let you know for a much less sum, and not be afraid of being worse treated than I have been. Well, young ladies, I am sorry to see passion run so high between you. You know, niece, to me, you had not been confined thus to your apartment. Could your mother by condensation, or by your father by authority, have been able to move you. But how can you expect, when there must be a concession on one side, that it should be on theirs? If my dolly, who has not the hundredth part of your understanding, were thus to set herself up in absolute contradiction to my will, in the point so material, I should not take it well of her. Indeed, I should not. I believe not, madam, that if Miss Hervey had just such a brother, and just such a sister, you may look, Bella, and if both were to aggravate her parents as my brother and sister do mine, then perhaps you might use her as I am used, and if she hated the man you proposed to her, and with as much reason as I do Mr. Solmes, and love a rake and libertine miss as you do loveless, said my sister, then might she, continued I, not minding her, beg to be excused from obeying, and if she did, and would give you the most solemn assurances and security besides, that she would never have the man you disliked against your consent, I dare say Miss Harvey's father and mother would sit down satisfied, and not endeavour to force her inclinations. So, said my sister, with uplifted hands, father and mother now come in for their share. But if, child, replied my aunt, I knew she loved a rake, and suspected that she sought only to gain time in order to wire-draw me into consent. I beg pardon, madam, for interrupting you, but if Miss Harvey could obtain your consent, what further would be said? True, child, but she never should. Then, madam, it would never be. That I doubt, niece. If you do, madam, can you think confinement and ill-usage is the way to prevent the apprehended rashness? My dear, this sort of intimation would make one but too apprehensive that there is no trusting to yourself when one knows your inclination. That apprehension, madam, seems to have been conceived before this intimation, or the least cause for it was given. Why else the disgraceful confinement I have been laid under? Let me venture to say that my sufferings seem to be rather owing to a concerted design to intimate me, Bella held up her hands, knowing there were two good grounds for my opposition, than to a doubt of my conduct, for when they were inflicted first I had given no cause for doubt, nor should there be room now for any, if my discretion might be trusted. My aunt, after a little hesitation, said, 
"'But consider, my dear, what confusion will be perpetuated in your family "'if you marry this hated Lovelace, "'and that it be considered what misery to me, uh, madam, "'if I marry that hated Psalms.' "'Many a young creature has thought she could not love a man "'with whom she has afterwards been very happy. "'Few women, child, marry their first loves. "'That may be the reason there are so few happy marriages.' but there are few first impressions fit to be encouraged. I am afraid so too, madam. I have a very different opinion of light and first impressions, but as I have so often said, all I wish for is to have leave to live single. Indeed you must not, miss. Your father and mother will be unhappy till they see you married and out of Lovelace's reach. I am told that you propose to condition with him so far as matters are gone between you, never to have any man, if you have not him. I know no better way to prevent mischief on all sides. I freely own it, and there is not, if he be out of the question, another man in the world I can think favorably of. Nevertheless, I would give all I have in the world, that he were married to some other person. Indeed I would, Bella, for all you put on that smile incredulity. Maybe so, Clary, but I will smile for all that. If he be out of the question, repeated my aunt, so, Miss Clary, I see how it is. I will go down. Miss Harlow, I shall follow you. And I will endeavour to persuade your father to let my sister herself come up, and a happier event may then result. Depend upon it, madam, said my sister, this will be the case. My mother and she will both be in tears. But with this different effect, my mother will come down softened and cut to the heart, but will leave her favorite hardened. From the advantages she will think she has over my mother's tenderness, why, madam, it is for this very reason that the girl is not admitted into her presence. Thus she ran on as she went downstairs. End of letter 44 Read by Patty Brugman End of Clarissa Harlow or the History of a Young Lady by Samuel Richardson.